Again, I thank you for the opportunity to be with you this weekend to talk about family life. Uh, it's been a joy and a privilege uh, for me to be able to kind of go over this material again. I mentioned, I think, one session that I wrote this material probably 30 years ago and uh, used to do a lot of series like this, but hadn't for quite some time, and so... Uh, it was a, a privilege for me to be able to look at my old notes and to go back over this material and to remind myself of uh, what I need to be as a father and as a husband. Uh, my children are reared, and yet uh, we never lose contact with our children and uh, the need to er, exhort them or to rebuke them or to encourage them uh, in their lives. And so we're going to talk in this hour about training up a child uh, in the way that he should go. Uh, we have talked already about the design and the purpose of marriage, and uh, we have also talked about the husband's role in the relationship, and uh, just a moment ago talked about the wives in subjection to their husband and in taking charge of the households and ruling their households and uh, being companions to their husband in this relationship. And so now we want to talk to these husbands and wives who have children, uh, talk to them about being mothers and fathers. Uh, it's a very, very daunting, I think, and a very awesome task uh, to be responsible for the upbringing and the rearing of a child. Uh, giving birth to a child is, and begetting a child is somewhat of a simple thing. Uh, we are designed in a way to bring forth children, but uh, training a child is indeed a very very daunting responsibility that God has given us. Simple matter biologically to, to bear a child, but it's a whole lot of different as parents to be able to teach them, to be able to train them, to be able to discipline, discipline them, and to, to realize that this is a very serious and it is a very solemn role that God has given us as parents. And I want us to begin our study with a very familiar passage of Scripture, and it's found in Proverbs, the 22nd chapter, in verse 6. It's the statement by Solomon who said to, or rather, uh, Solomon, yes, to train up a child uh, in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. There are a number of things that I want to talk about for just a moment from that verse. I want us to begin with the idea that there is a way that a child ought to go. And the very first decision that you have to make as parents is what road are you going to travel with your child? What road are you going to take him down? What ought you to do with regard to the bringing up your child? How should he go is the very first thing that we have to decide. And we live in a time when evolution and when humanism is a very prominent in our school systems, and in various other aspects of our society. And it is rather generally assumed by many, many people uh, that man is just the product of 
material forces. And that we are just an evolution from matter in some way. There are a lot of assumptions, of course, in the theory of evolution that matter is eternal, is the first one. And you cannot take matter and test it in a test tube or look at it in a microscope and and see that it's eternal. And in fact, there are laws of thermodynamics that would indicate that matter is not eternal. But if evolution is true and there is no God, then matter has to be eternal, and that's the first problem that the evolutionist has. And then he has to assume that that matter, if you grant that it's eternal, he has to assume that that matter somehow of its own just produced life. And that that life began to develop and produce human thought and reason and the appreciation of beauty and love and devotion to other uh, fellows. And all of that is just pure assumption and uh, the idea that would be floated about that evolution is a scientific fact is just really absurd. In fact, uh, a fellow back in the 1960s, a fellow named McCurcutt, wrote a book on the implications of evolution, and he was an evolutionist. But he was very frank in the beginning of his book, I believe it was in the preface or the introduction to the book, that evolution is nothing more than a working hypothesis. He didn't assume that it was even a theory, uh, much less a fact. He says it's just an hypothesis that men are working in effort to try to prove uh, the origin of man. And so since 1859, when Charles Darwin wrote his book, The Origin of the Species, they have been propagating this idea that we are a product of evolution. But we understand, and there is so much evidence that the Bible is the Word of God, that we understand that man has been created in the image and the very likeness of God. And that God is a spirit. And that spirits don't have flesh and bones, as Jesus said in Luke, the 24th chapter, verse 39. So if I'm made in the image of God, and He's a spirit, and spirits don't have flesh and bones, then I have some kind of a spiritual existence. And I have what the Bible calls a spirit, what the Bible calls the soul. And the life within me, Jesus said, no man can destroy. Indeed, our souls and spirits are eternal and that's what we're dealing with when we're talking about training children. And we have to decide the very first thing, how our children ought to go. And the way our children ought to go is the way of God and is the way of truth. And God has revealed to us the Bible. We have the Scriptures. We have foundation principles that are laid all the way through the Old Testament. And then in the New Covenant, God brings to fruition all that He designed for man to be in the redemption that we have through Christ Jesus and the word of truth that we have to understand and know and to follow. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And Paul said, uh, if you just read what we wrote, Ephesians 3, verse 3, you can understand what we know about the mind or the mystery or the will of God. And so every scripture is inspired of God, and it is profitable to teach us, to give us instruction from the mind of God. It is profitable to reprove us and to expose in our thinking and in our lives things that do not comport to the mind and to the will of God. 
And not only will it expose sin in our lives, but it will correct. It will straighten us up. The word correct is interesting because it means probably what your mother said to you often, at least mine did, straighten up, son. And it is used in the Gospels when a woman was all bowed over and came to Jesus, and he said, be thou straight, and she straightened up. And so spiritually, we need to to be straightened up sometimes. And we get off in paths that we ought not be walking. And we begin to think things that we ought not think. And the Scriptures, if we go back and read them, will correct. They will straighten us up. They will straighten up our thinking. They will straighten up our behavior. And they are also profitable to train us in righteousness. They are profitable to discipline and train us so that we will walk in righteousness. And righteousness is simply the commandments of God. Luke 1 verse 8, Zechariah 6 verse Zacharias and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist, were both righteous, it says, walking in the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. And so that's the way our children ought to go. Our children ought to understand the ways of God. They ought to understand the truth. They ought to understand the mind and the will of God that He has revealed for His creature. And so once we decide that, then secondly... If they are to walk in that way, if we decide that the way our children ought to walk is in truth, then they need to be trained to do that. Children aren't going to just grow up and walk in the truth. And in order for them to go the way they ought to go, the proverb is saying you're going to have to train them. You're going to have to give them some training. You're going to have to, number one, teach them. And that means to give them information, to give them instruction, to teach them what does the Word of God say. And that's why we have Bible classes. And that's why we have usually women teaching these very young children, teaching them Bible stories and principles of truth that grow out of those stories, is that we're trained to train these children to walk in the ways of God. But that's our role and that's our responsibility as parents, is to train our children. Indeed, it's wonderful to bring them to Bible study. And it's wonderful to sit them, set them rather, at the feet of some of these godly women and men that teach these classes. But we must understand that as parents, this has to go on in the home. And once we decide our children should walk in the ways of God then we're going to have to begin in the home to teach them. We need to teach them, as we'll see in just a moment, very early on. But we have to give them the information and the understanding of what God has said. But also in that training process is the matter of discipline. Not only do you impart information to your children, if they don't walk in the way that you have taught them, then you're going to have to correct them. You're going to have to... You're going to have to do what you do when you drive an automobile. When you go down the road, the automobile will begin to stray to the right. You're going to have to correct it. Begin to move a little bit to the left. And driving is a series of corrections. We drive down the road constantly correcting so that we can go in that straight path. And that's exactly what we have to do with our children. When we instruct them and teach them this is the way of God and we see them veering to the right or veering to the left, we have to correct them. And sometimes when we correct them, it involves more than just telling them. That's not the thing to do. 
Sometimes, indeed, as we'll see a little bit later on, we're going to have to use the rod. And if we spare the rod, the Bible is very clear that we're going to lose our children, that we're going to really hate our children if we don't have the will and the determination to to make corrections in their lives. And then, you'll notice, he says you need to train a child. It's important to understand that, that this training doesn't begin when a child is 10 or 12 or 15 years old. You train a child uh, from a babe. Uh, we read in the Scripture about Timothy. And it's interesting in Philippians, the second chapter, beginning with about verse 19, that the Apostle Paul refers to Timothy as the premier student and evangelist that he had trained. And he had a purpose in mind of sending Timothy to Philippi, and he said, I want to send him over there because I don't have anybody like-minded. He said, I don't have anybody. Of all those men that Paul trained, he said, I don't have anybody that has the mind of Timothy. He goes ahead to explain that Timothy will come over there and unselfishly devote himself to the well-being of that congregation there at Philippi. And Timothy, from a babe. Second Timothy, the third chapter, verses 14 and 15. It says from a babe. And I often emphasize that doesn't say from a child. That says from a babe. And the word babe or baby is used in the Scripture to refer to an infant. Uh, one who has just been born. The babe that was lying in the manger. And you need to start training your children in the sacred Scriptures from the time they are babies. You know, psychologists have, have come, or psychiatrists, have come to the conclusion that holding a baby and cuddling a baby and saying sweet things to a baby has a tremendous impact upon his consciousness even when he doesn't even understand what you're saying. And so you're holding that baby and saying sweet things to him. You're telling him about God and that Jesus is God's Son and he can't understand the word you're saying. But he knows that you're holding him in the warmth of your hands and he associates that holding with the words that are being spoken. And so they tell us that to cuddle and to hold children from the very time they come out of the womb is very important to their psychological development. And it's interesting that, that Paul tells us that as a babe, Timothy learned the sacred scriptures. And we know about the faith of Lois, his grandmother, from 1 Timothy 1. We know about the faith of his mother, Eunice. Now, he didn't have a daddy who had faith. His daddy was a Greek. But he did not have a daddy that was a believer in God who taught him the will of God, but he had a grandmother, and he had a mother that did. And as a baby, those two women, that grandma and that mother, began to instill in Timothy, there is a God, as we just sang a moment ago. 
and that He created the heavens and the earth, and that He spoke to man and gave him laws and said, you shouldn't kill or you shouldn't steal. I mean, you can start talking to a child as a baby. He doesn't understand a word you're saying. He doesn't know what Jesus means. He doesn't know what God means. But then he's going to become two, and he's going to become three, and he's going to become four. And if that continues, then he is going to, from a very babe, he is going to learn these sacred scriptures. And so it's important then, uh, as we learn from Proverbs, the 22nd chapter, verse 6, to decide the way our children ought to go. And that's the ways of God. And then to begin to instruct and train and teach them and discipline them to walk in that way and to do it very early on. I remember when I first started preaching, there used to be a saying, the Catholics put it out, there used to be a saying, if you give me a child the first seven years of his life, he'll always be a Catholic. I think Dr. Dobson has said in some of his works on discipline that it's important to train a child by the time he's five years old. And if you don't train that child by the time he's five years old, then there's a very good chance that you're not going to have the impact on him that the Word of God should have so that he will walk indeed in the way that he ought to go. So number one, we've got to train our children from the time that they're babes. We've got to begin to talk to them about God and about the Word of God. Because that's the way they ought to go. But secondly, in, in training children, we've got to love them. We've got to be devoted to them. In Titus, the second chapter, verses 3 and 4, Paul said to Titus, I want you to train the older women to teach the younger women to love their children. To show affection to those children. To give them attention. I, I, I think the, the, the purest form of love, as I see it, is attention. That you give your children attention. You listen to them. What they have to say. Pay attention to what your children are saying. You play with them. Go out and throw a ball with them or go out and, and, and swing them or whatever. But, but be active with your children and play with them. But also pray with them. Now lay me down to sleep or whatever. But get down on your knees beside their bed or in the living room or wherever and engage them in prayer and let them, when they're able to speak, to pray themselves. they got a problem with their homework, help them. Get over there at the table with them and if they're having problems with 2 plus 2 or 2 plus 3 or whatever, Get over there and help them and work with them in, in doing their homework. Buy them their favorite treat. They like a, a vanilla cone or a chocolate cone or uh, whatever, a shake. Uh, take them out occasionally and, and buy them their favorite treat. Uh, commend them. When you see them doing something, maybe cleaning up their room and you haven't said a word to them, or doing something that is profitable, be sure and speak to them, commend them for what they're doing, and always tell them, Mom and Daddy love you. You're important to us. Now, those are the kinds of very specific things that we can do that manifest an affection 
that manifest a love and, and a devotion to our children. And so give them some attention and, and tell them you love them. And then all of these things that you do with your children and share with them, they will grow up thinking, Mama really likes me or Daddy really likes me. They'll have that built within their psyche uh, from the time they're, they're able to, even before they're able to walk and so forth, they hear those words and, and we give them that attention and so forth. And so love your children. And, and, and Paul said to Titus, you teach those older women to talk to those younger women about, about loving and showing affection, giving attention uh, to the, their children. But also, be an example in training up children in the way that they should go, uh, it's not enough just to give them instruction. It's not enough just to, to give them attention and so that they understand and so that they know that you love them. But it's important that they see in you what you want in them. If you're shouting at your husband and, and, and so forth, they see that. They hear that. And they grow up drawing some conclusions about that. And so be sure that you behave properly yourself and be an example to them. You know, Jesus was an example to us. Here and two were you called. Peter said in 1 Peter 2.21, Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. Is Jesus going to tell me to get out here and suffer for Christ and He hadn't shown me that He's willing to do it Himself? I want to see in Jesus what He wants in me. And the Apostle Paul said concerning himself, you know, be imitators of me, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, as I am imitators of Christ. You want to read Paul's epistles and do what Paul says if Paul's a renegade out here himself? Paul has been an example to you by following the example of Jesus. Elders are to be in samples or examples to the flock, First Peter 5 says. How in this world can we as elders lead the churches that we serve in? How can we possibly get them to walk in righteousness and holiness when we're not doing it ourselves? We're sitting in the assembly and looking around and gawking around and checking this and checking that, and people see that. What kind of an impact does that have? Get your mind focused on the singing. Get your mind focused on the study. Get your mind focused on the Lord's Supper or whatever. And be an example. And in your personal life as well. If you hear an elder out here getting kind of rough with his wife and speaking kind of in a hateful way, what kind of an example is that? And so... Paul said, or rather Peter said to, to elders, you be examples. And you know, the Bible says that Abraham commanded his children after him. Now, what that means is, that's Genesis 18 verse 19, but, but what that means is that Abraham was directing his family. And he had a big family. I mean, I know he just had Isaac, but he had all these servants. And he commanded these people. They were part of his family. And did his work and all that kind of thing. He brought them over from Ur of Chaldees. But he commanded them after him. Which is another way of saying that he instructed and taught those in his household to live the way he's living. And that means, therefore, if he's going to do that, he's going to have to be an example. 
And we get back to the point of Timothy. Why was Timothy such a man of faith and unselfishness? Well, the Bible says because it first dwelt in his grandmother Lois and in his mother Eunice. He had that devotion, that faith, that commitment to God because he saw it in his grandma. And he saw it in his mother. They were examples to him. How did Esau and Jacob act? Acted like their parents. Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob. And what did Jacob turn around and do? He loved Joseph or Benjamin or whatever. He followed in the steps of what he saw at home. And just as there was partiality in his father and in his mother, there was partiality in him. Toward Rachel versus Leah and his kids and all of He learned that at home. And so if we expect our children to live in a certain way, then we need to first of all set the example. We need to behave the way we want them to behave. Back in Ezekiel, the 16th chapter, verse 44, Ezekiel says, As is the mother, so is the daughter. How do we say that? Like father, like son. And that's often the case. Now sometimes a child will grow up and buck the way his father was or the way his mother was, but the principle is, if your father and mother are not walking the way they ought to walk, in the truth, in the way of God's commandment, in the character of Jesus and those examples that were set in New Testament times, if they're not doing that, then there's a pretty good chance the children aren't going to be much better than the mother and the father. And in our examples, we need to be be very careful about the way we behave toward our children. We need to say please, if we want them to say please. We need to say, say thank you if we want them to say thank you. We need to be kind to them if we want them to be kind to us. If we expect them to be unselfish, then they must not see selfishness in us. If we want patience, if we want morality, if we want them to speak language that is befitting a righteous person, then we've got to do all of that ourselves. Can you imagine uh, spewing out hateful things toward your wife or your husband or even toward the child himself and expect that child somehow to grow up and to be different from what you are? And the same thing goes with faith. Assembling with the saints. You don't assemble with the saints. What are your children going to do? talking the other day about a person that we're, Greg and Joel and so know that, that is a member there where I preach. And the person comes about once a month. And what, what does that person expect of the children if that's the way that person is going to live and behave? And so what about television? Run the kids off to bed. We want to watch this movie. What are you doing watching a movie the kids can't watch? Now, it may be bedtime, and you may be going to watch a decent movie, and that's fine. That's not my point. My point is that 
Do we watch on television things that we wouldn't want our children to see? Well, what in the world are you watching it for? If you don't want your child to watch that, why are you doing watching it? What's the matter with it that you don't want your child to see it? It's disturbing to me. I, I, we, we've got people where I preach. Some of them very prominent members talk about movies they watch and so forth. And I begin to inquire around about it, and sometimes uh, my wife will check it on the some, something she looks up on the Internet, I don't know, and we'll find out there's maybe nudity, there's maybe language, there's maybe, and, and of course violence, you know that's all right, don't you? Yeah, violence is fine. It, 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 that, and these guys, I, I hear some of these young guys talk about the movies that they're watching, and, and I find out later. And I'm not a movie person. Uh, I grew up, my dad didn't believe in going to movies. I'm not going to tell you I didn't sneak out and go to one once in a while, but uh, I'm telling you, my dad didn't approve of it. And back then, it was Randolph Scott, you know, and the cowboy shows and all that, but those people in Hollywood were ungodly people, and my dad says, you're supporting them when you go to that movie, and I don't want you there. And so, as parents, we've got to take control of the television. And we've got to be careful about the kinds of movies that we go to. But at the same time, we need to be reading the Bible. We need to have a devotional study every evening with our children. We need to be praying with them. They need to be praying also with us. We've got to set that example and set that course of action that is righteous and holy if we want our kids to walk in righteousness and in truth. And we need to, going back to the text that was read in our hearing a moment ago from Ephesians 6, we need to nurture our children. We need to bring them up in the nurture and the discipline and the chastisement and the chastening of the Lord. And that means then that we need to not only instruct our children, but we need to enforce it. We need when our children do not follow the instructions that we've given them, we need to discipline them. And I know discipline isn't a popular thing nowadays. And I know that no teacher in our public school could get by with what I saw our teacher do when I was in about the sixth grade. They would be arrested. They would be put in jail if they did what she did to a friend of mine in, in the school system. And she was excessive, and I don't condone necessarily what she did. But I'm just saying that this idea that we're going to spare the rod, and if we do spare the rod, then according to Proverbs, we hate our children. We despise our children if we do not use the rod when it's necessary. And I'm not talking about beating the kid up. My dad did that one time, and he was a good man. But my dad really beat me one time, and he regretted it the rest of his life. And he apologized. But he learned it from his daddy, who whipped him with two-befores and things of that kind. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about discipline that sometimes involves some physical punishment. And uh, take those 
phones away from them. Boy, they'll straighten up in a hurry to take those phones away. But anyway, there's got to be some form of discipline uh, if we expect our children to grow up and to walk in the ways of the Lord. And we need to teach them to honor us. We need to teach them to respect us. We need to teach them to listen. And when they don't listen, there's got to be some, there's got to be some discipline there if that child refuses to listen to what we're saying. And so our children need to honor us to the point that they will listen. And we need, we're going to have to establish a principle that you listen to me. And if that child wanders away when you're talking, you, you, you enforce the principle that you listen. And then you enforce, you obey me. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And you say thanks to me. And, 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 and you learn to praise mommy and daddy for things that they do for you and to be thankful. And children need to have responsibilities. I don't know what, what the, some of you have farms and places around here and maybe not a lot for children to do as there was, uh, years ago, but they need some kind of work discipline and, and responsibility and things of that kind. And so, brethren, we need to decide the way our children ought to go. And we need to train them to walk in that way. And we need to do that from the time that they're a babe. All through their childhood, we need to be training them in the way that we've decided and understand that they need to go. And we need to insist that they respect and honor us And we need to show them love, and we need to show them praise, and we need to show them honor, so that indeed, as examples to them, they will honor, and they will praise, and they will respect us. And when any of those things are not fulfilled and they're not accomplished, then we need to discipline our children so that they are nurtured and chastened in the ways of God. In the Hebrews, the 12th chapter, it talks about chastisement. Uh, talking, of course, to Christians about suffering, but how chastening is designed to train a child so that he will walk in righteousness and holiness and in truth. And so, fathers and mothers, this is a dual responsibility. This is something that you're both going to have to work at together. You're going to have to get your act together. You're going to have to be consistent. But it's a tough job. Training children. Nurturing them, bringing them up to walk in the ways of God. It's not an easy task. It's not easy to be always consistent. It's not easy to always be the right kind of example. But as parents, mothers and fathers, we have to work at it. We have to devote ourselves to it. We have to love and train our children to walk in the way that they should go so that as they grow old and become parents themselves, they will not depart from it. And we urge you and encourage you to make this a part of your family discipline and your family life. It's not only loving your husband, not only loving your wife, but loving your children, bringing them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. We'll talk to you later this afternoon about the permanency of marriage. But this is the 
at least the points we wanted to make to you about family life, about husbands, about wives, and about parents. But we want to emphasize that this is a permanent relationship and we're going to have to all of us work to be sure that what we have begun does not end in a divorce court somewhere. And we'll talk about that later today. But if you're here this morning, we've talked a great deal about the way a person ought to go and that there is a God and that you need to serve and obey Him. And if you believe with all your heart there is a God, if you believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, then do you believe that this is the Word of God? If so, would you not acknowledge then that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And making that confession, would you reject sin in your life, repent of it, turn away from it, forsake it? If you're willing to do that, then you can be buried with your Lord in baptism. And you can arise to walk a new life forgiven of your sins. And if you've already done that and gone back into the ways of the world, then you need to reject that and repent of that. Turn away from that. And acknowledge your sinfulness. If you need to do that in a public way, there are brethren here that will pray with you. They'll pray for you. God will forgive you. And you can stand once again in fellowship with God of heaven. You need to be in fellowship with God. Jesus should come tonight. Only those that are in fellowship with him will be received, as we say, into that upper and that better kingdom with God above. If you're subject in any way, we urge you to come while we stand and sing the hymn that's been selected.